Welcome to the Spirituality Out Loud podcast, where you'll hear real-life stories of people's unique spiritual journeys in their own words from their own viewpoints. Hosted by Leslie Seidel, relationship expert and spiritual mentor, who specializes in working with people on their relationships, from their romantic life to their work life and just plain life. Here's Leslie. Welcome back to another episode of the Spirituality Out Loud podcast. I am Leslie Seidel, and I cannot wait to dive into today's interview. I am so excited, and thank you so much for joining me today. Today, I have Amelia Volgner, who is a intuitive, a specialist in energy medicine and natural healing. She has been working in this field for close to 12 years. Her specialty is supporting those who do not feel connected to the planet. She walks individuals through a path of wholeness, supporting them through truly being here, and then supporting them in uncovering the gifts that they are here on earth to live into their lives. Hi, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Leslie. I'm so excited to share with your group today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so we're going to dive right in and we try to begin at, in our beginning, which is what, what do you remember? What was your experience looking back on a spiritual life growing up? I love that question. And I think my answer has a few different parts. The first part I think will start in the cells of my body. We'll start with my genealogy. We'll start with the story that's kind of hiding there in my anatomy. And um, I'd like to start with my father first. My father is a funeral director. And so a lot of my childhood was spent going to the family funeral home. So pick us up at school and take us to the office. And we would, you know, sit around with our homework with, um, you know, the, the coat rack full of other people's clothes over there and the, the bodies on tables with the sheets pulled over them waiting in the back for, um, to be fixed up the next day or, you know, and then at other times, if we weren't doing our homework, we were roller skating through the funeral home. So we would get, you know, 9,000 square feet of like linoleum path and big doors. And it was just like my heaven was in my father's funeral home. My heaven was watching people who were not alive and looking at myself as an alive being and wondering, what is that difference? What is that that makes me feel alive? What's the spark in our eye? And this funeral home was not just daddy's funeral home. It's been in our family for over 250 years. He's the eighth generation. My brother's the ninth generation. And so I believe that this work of caretaking over both living and the dead is something that lives in the cells of my body. Not only is it just visiting there, inquiring, being curious about the light within, it was watching my father work with clients. So I remember this one couple, they were fantastic. It was two sisters. They were dressed in purple. They had their little purple hats on. They were clouded in grief, uh, you know, in, in escapable grief, really. And he, he went up behind them and he had both his hands up like this, put one behind each of the women's hearts 
and held them there for a moment in an unspoken moment where I could physically see change happening in their body. And he looked at both of them and he said, I'm going to get you food. I'm holding you. I'm holding you. And in that moment, when I was watching him, I mean, it chokes me up every time to return to that moment because I realized anchored somewhere in my knowing of spirituality was the knowing that we hold each other, that we're held and that we hold each other in our life and in the undulations of what life throws at us. So that was part of how I learned my spiritual lessons. I mean, that is, and I, and I don't want to interrupt, but I want to hear more, but it's, I worked in hospice for years. I, I can't speak to other countries, but I can speak to America and we just don't really hold death and it's hidden and people don't know how to handle it. And there's no grief. You know, you get one day off of work and there's no holding. And I did grief counseling. And one of the things I just was supposed to stay, right. And witness. And that's where the healing happened. It's just to hold, like you, like you said, hold. You know, and it was, for me, people talked about how depressing that was. And, and I was like, what? I hear love affairs. You know, people would come and sit and tell me about their love for someone. And they were sad because that person has gone, but it was love, just love and love and love. And it's interesting because I think that if you ask the average person what it would be like to be a child in a funeral home, they would not describe it how you just did. Yeah, and, and you know, I love also in what you were saying, Leslie, about the holding of someone's stories, that sacred act of listening, that sacred act of really holding someone's stories in such a way that they are freed by sharing. That is also part of my knowing of spirituality is the art of receiving story and honoring story and honoring the story of whomever I'm sitting with, whether it be at the grocery store in the checkout line, or whether it be in the clinic holding, you know, a very specific type of space for someone who's endeavoring through their life, or, you know, just, just being out with my friends. So I think yeah. there's something really magical about listening, holding, and sharing of stories imbued in this topic of spirituality and how it becomes an active part of our day-to-day -day. yeah that's part of my practice listening deep yeah. listening deep listening and believing i believe in people i believe in their goodness i believe it i see it and that's where we start working and then you mind if i tell you a little bit about my mom please please so, you know, my father's the, the guy that, oh, and he's such a sweet man. He's very Southern. He's very simple. He's very wise. We grew up on a farm. We, we created our own food, you know, grew it from seeds in the garden. We weeded if we got in trouble. We weeded if we didn't get in trouble. <laughs> you know, we just, mm -hmm. we were down there together as a family. And my mother is um she's phenomenal she's she's a musician she plays 24 instruments she speaks five languages she would tap dance while she played 
in the kitchen, she would make spaghetti and tap dance. And, you know, I had this very whimsical childhood filled with music and celebration and opportunity for curiosity and imagination. And in addition to being a musician and bringing that ethereal, those ethereal vibrations of music into our life at an early age, she was a horticulturalist and she bred hybrid rhododendrons. So if my father cared for death, my mother stewarded life. And wow. so I got to see the textures of life becoming in the simplest form, watching nature show us what it means to be alive, watching a flower go from its tiny infancy, that the beautiful light, bright green of its stalk coming up to the cocoon of the flower before it becomes. And then as it arrives in its full color, you know, the music of itself, the language of its life through color, and then the disintegration back to the planet. So for me, watching those flowers has taught me about the ways in which we grow and die every day. Wow. And what it means to be reborn when the seeds become anew. So is this how uh, I hear your understanding where these ways of understanding spoken about? Was it this like overt discussion about energy work that your dad was doing and the oh. cycle of life, but your mom, or was this you entering and make and, and witnessing and making decisions? Oh, I tell you what, my dad has no clue what I do for a living, <laughs> but he does it every day in his job. And mm -hmm. I think that the language of energy is so universal. Mm -hmm. It takes us beyond the stories of everyday religions. It brings us to the core, the template, the code, that which is inspired by something beyond us and allows us to hold it. But no, these weren't really active parts of my spiritual education as a child, but there was, again, an attention to watching, holding and noticing, you know, watching the nature unfold in front of you. Mom would say, look at what it's doing today. Look at what it's done overnight under the moonlight. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And connecting us back with the awe and wonder, you know, you know, when you study like neuroplasticity training and resourcing, you get into that place where you're, you're looking at where is the awe and the wonder that connects you to something bigger? Mm. And so I think imbued in my childhood, while not like overtly taught, I was absolutely guided. Yeah. I mean, I had, a, I had a very similar experience. My family was not spiritual or religion, and they would never say that. But they believed so fully in service, in doing good in the world, and helping things and people who didn't have the ability to help themselves right they rescued every animal on the block they and you know what i mean and like this is this is how they did just really supported and they believed in nature right and they did all of these things not as a reflection of going to church and not going to hell but because it was simply the right thing to do yeah. and so yeah they didn't hold it in that way that a lot of spiritual people hold it and they 
wouldn't use the spiritual terms I use, but they do all of the stuff I do and taught me a lot of the things I do, right? It's such an interesting idea. So it sounds like you had a similar. Yeah. And, you know, my, my, I was raised in the Moravian faith. A lot of people have never heard of the Moravians. What is it? So in um, early, early Europe, there was actually a country called Moravia. Mm -hmm. In the mid-1600s, the Moravians, the people of Moravia, were persecuted for their religion. There was a lot of us, and I'm going to say us because my family was one of the first settlers in the United States from Moravia, got on our boats. We said, you know what? I think there's something bigger out there. We've heard of it. Let's go. So we came over on the boats, got into our covered wagons, and came down from Pennsylvania to North Carolina, where they first settled in a small town called Bethabra, North Carolina. Bethabra means the city of passage. They'd just done this huge passage. They built this city, and then they decided it wasn't the right land. And so they moved about 30 miles east where they they started another village called Salem comes from Winston Salem Salem comes from the word shalom it means the city of peace mm. and my family was we came as the furniture makers which is how we got started in the funeral business because if someone died in the village they needed a casket so they went to the furniture makers to build that casket and the Moravians are um, an amazing group of people, very small, never non-warring. We never participated in any wars, mm. non-slave own owning. We believe in equality deeply. We're not buried with our family. We're buried in these sections of a cemetery called choirs where single women would be buried together married women would be buried together the children would be buried together the married men because these were the people whom we shared our life with our day-to-day mm. -day life and during life and at death we wanted our people around us interesting yeah. and so what was that like growing up like what was so you were raised in this religion or is it religion or is it a culture or like it's a religion it's a Protestant okay. religion and, okay um, it's freeing. If you read the scriptures the way that they're uh, translated in the Moravian church, you really find their deep connection with nature, with music, with each other. But we still studied the Bible, just mm -hmm. as you know other Protestant religions would. It's just that there was a very naturalistic, very humanistic, very holistic way of being with our scripture. And so that was the undercurrents of my traditional religious life. And I am still, I was baptized in that church. I still go, we have these amazing candlelight services where we return to the light within. So mm. it aligns well with the work that I do in theory. But yet when I show up in service, I show up to meet someone where they are. Mm -hmm. You know, so my religion doesn't come into my work. My so, doesn't come there. okay, so this is how you were raised. Mm -hmm. Kind of what happened or did something happen or is this, is 
your current belief just, I mean, still a reflection of how you were raised or has thing, have things shifted over time? Well, I think spirituality is a verb. Mm -hmm. you know? Just like health is a verb that we endeavor, we travel through it, we inquire through it. Um, so the journey up until now, I think has just been a journey of education. Um, I'm also a trained engineer. So I had, I had a, a quite long history in engineering where I wanted to know the facts. I wanted to know the systems. So I'm a Kabbalist. I study the Kabbalah. I study um, physics and astrobiology. Like I, I love the parts of energy medicine mm. and astrobiology, physics. These are spiritual studies to me. Mm -hmm. Taps me right back into the awe and the wonder. What is this? What does this mean? Mm -hmm. How do I fold this into my daily life? What is that little cell doing in there? Mm -hmm. And why? And so I like to be in balance with the natural unfolding of our knowledge here on the, you know, earth plane, and then inquiring deeply from that framework, from those questions into a more contemplative and meditative practice to be able to tap into spirit and say, spirit, teach me, teach me what else is laying on these stories that we've concocted here on earth to help us explain what we're doing. So I think it's all in the alchemy of what does it mean to know the light in us? It yeah. started when I was little and I go back to it every single day. Where is my light today? What does it look like? Where is it guiding me? What, what is your light like today? Where is it dimmed up a bit? Where is it really trying to shine through? Yeah, it's so beautiful. Um, I, I think that this process, I love the fact that you talk about the balance, right? It's so easy to want to be the monk on the mountaintop, right? Like just to totally disengage from world. Um, or to be totally disengaged from spirit and just solely in the physical world, make money, do this thing. And it's the balance that is so beautiful and complex to hold, right? Like I need to pay my bills and I need to meditate, right? Yeah. I need to know what spiritually my kid is going through and I take them to the doctor, right? Like, exactly. and to hold those two pieces together is Yes, and, and I hear you talking about that, which is really lovely. Absolutely. I mean, I, and, and that's my mother, the earth mom, and my father, mm -hmm. you know, the stewarder of spirit and unseen, you know, and what that has become through me as, you know, the little girl that decided on some level, I'm going to choose those two for my parent. I'm going to come mm -hmm. into this planet right now with those guys and see what I can do with that this time around. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and when I work with clients who have a strong meditation practice, so many times what we have to recultivate is that acknowledgement of the physical body. And what does it mean to be here on the planet? What does it mean to take all that light, all that wisdom, all that goodness and walk it out into the grocery store and change somebody's life because you smile at them the right way. The yes. Right meaning out of rightness, not right wrong, but out of rightness. Yeah. Your work, I'm fascinated by your work, and and 
do you see that work as a spiritual practice? Like is, is right. Like it's hard to just take apart, right. My life versus my spiritual life, but what called you to the work you do? It called me, it was undeniable. I, you know, I was working in engineering and I was feeling myself acknowledge little parts of me that were going quiet. I was very, very well supported in engineering. I was on the private jets. I was flying all around. I was in big parties. I mean, I had a great gig going. And yet there were little parts of me. And I tell you, I I excelled in corporate America because I can intuit what's coming next. So in meetings, they want me there. You know, I think every company should hire an intuitive because they can get you the answers. At any rate... That's my soapbox for corporate America. Oh, no. I I had a job where I the CEO would have me sit in on all the executive team meetings. And I did not. I was not an executive. And then after the meeting, he would say, now, what did you hear happen? Exactly. And what I didn't know, because we did this, I did an off-site workshop, and we did a Myers-Briggs, right? And it's one of those things. And the, and the Myers-Briggs guy just turned around and looked at me and said, you are the only one in this room of 12 people who have any emotional intelligence. Oh, that is and, so and scary. <laughs> I thought that they knew they were doing this to each other. Like I, it was so obvious to me. And so I worked in mergers and acquisitions and I was really good coming in and they would say this is what we need and I would say yeah no this is actually what's happening right like and holding the other space and so I was good at this game you know because I could see the energies of it and I can see what was actually the undercurrent of what was happening and could attend to that exactly and you know my corporate job stressed me out So I went to see an energy person Mm. and the day, the first day she held my feet, every gift, talent, and um, I don't know, spiritual wisdom that I cultivated and then stuffed away because normal life doesn't allow you to kind of be in and through that in a really easy way, came back. And so I started, that was about 12 years ago. I started taking classes. I started being curious. I had a private practice at night and on the weekends. And that was where my energy would light me up. The light in my eye came back. And how did I change? How did I get into this? I quit my job. And my boss said, you know, you're the only person that has quit my team in 26 years. (laughs) And I said, you know what? I'm not quitting. I'm just moving on to do something that's better for me. Yeah. So I just tracked the offness, you know, I tracked those little moments of like, that feels quieter, that I'm not inspired here. I'm not, I'm not engaged here. I'm daydreaming. Oh, I'd rather be anywhere but here. Those signs of offness are really lovely wisdoms that say you're not in the right place. Because as soon as I stepped in the right place, it's been um, just a waterfall of beauty. The thing that's really interesting is that the way you describe things, I, I, I feel the truth of it. And it's such a different description from how I describe things. Mm-hmm. But it's the same truth, right? Which is so lovely. And, you know, I, uh, I followed the things that were interesting. I followed the sparks. 
But when you say, I looked at the areas that were not, were dim, I could say, oh, okay, yeah, same thing, right? The areas that needed attention, but I would have described it as, oh my God, I, I learned palmistry and it oh, was, cool. yeah, and I was, and I did it secretly because no one could know. And, um, and I was so fascinated by it, you know, and I didn't think a thing about it. I just did, I just kept following these different lights everywhere. When you describe attending to that, which is not lit up, that's why I did that. Exactly. And that's why I think, I don't want to get too preachy and I know we've only got a couple minutes left, but, but that's why it's so essential that part of our spiritual practice includes our body and includes those aspects of grounding ourselves on the planet. Because if we're not tapped in here, I really believe that it's harder for us to sense the offness and track the light. We get, you know, that's, I've, I've been married once before that I tracked the wrong light because I wasn't grounded in my truth. I thought, oh, that's the guy, that's the one. And he's a lovely guy, but he wasn't the one because I wasn't tapped in and I wasn't listening in a way that was really allowing me to hear the wisdom of my full self. So I'd love to hear this. So I know that for me, I was not ever taught how to ground. Mm -hmm. And the glorious thing is my husband is naturally just earthy and grounded and it's so luscious to me. (laughs) So how, for people listening, how would you, what are ways in which you ground? Mm -hmm. What are ways in which you listen to your body? How do you practically do what you're saying to do? For, for me, there's always a sense of empowerment. So first, I would say to anyone, call your power. Call the knowing and the will to be grounded. This is mm. not an inquiry or an exercise of desire. It's an inquiry and an exercise of channeling your will force to be firmly connected to the planet. We're here. And I actually use my power and call the earth to me. I set my feet on the floor and I ask the energies of the earth to come to me. And I literally wait for that earth to become known to me through active attention And then I allow that earth, supportive earth energy to to move up in and through my body. I've got some meditations up on my website if folks want to go hear them. But, you know, moving the energy and I always start with the feet. And then, you know, allowing the energies to move up into my body, find their home in my heart. And then I open up the crown of my head and allow the celestial energies to come in, the, the map, the constellations, the direction of all that is and the unfolding way of this beautiful universe. And I allow that to meet those energies of the earth in my heart. And I just sit with that. And when we're firmly connected between the two poles of earth and cosmos, we have so much more resource available to us to anchor us firmly into our body, our mind, and our spirit, and also connect us to that which is larger than us so that we can be fully supported in making decisions that are in the right alignment for what we're asking for. That's beautiful. 
Use your power, people. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. I've been working with a lot of people about fear and, and myself included. When fear arises, when I have that fearful energy, they're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, it's not okay, it's not okay, it's not okay. And it's so easy to start to have to make decisions in that space, right? I don't want to feel this fear. Oh, yeah. And I start to randomly make decisions in my life oh, yeah, yeah. from that place, which by definition are wrong. Yeah. Like fear lies, just fear lies. End of story. Unless a tiger is actively trying to eat me, <laughs> fear is usually not. And so I have to do exactly what you say. So every time I get in that space, my immediate response is to do what you just described. So that I can then make decisions about the thing that I'm fearful about and then be present for that. Yeah. And I would, you know, I also encourage people who find themselves in the energy of fear to um, show up in that, not maybe not with that sense of what, what's going to happen is wrong, but I think of it as a distraction. And I say, oh, Damn, that distraction's back. That one that's like keeping me unclear and disconnected mm. from my wisdom. So mm -hmm. thank you, distraction, for leading me back to the core of me. Thank mm. you, distraction, for being a door that I can walk through, acknowledge, and then go, okay, what's really back here? Yeah, you know? that's beautiful. It keeps us out of like, we live in a dual world, you know, this or that, yes or no, right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And there are worlds and dimensions out there that are based in love and truth and goodness. Mm -hmm. Go there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for your time. This has been such a pleasure getting to know you and for you to share yourself with me and the listeners. And this is such a random question. So right on the spot. Do you have anything that you would like to, is there anything that I didn't touch upon? Is there anything that you would like to say to people? Is there anything that you feel called to say? You know, I think that just to bookend us back to the beginning, to go back full circle, to just allow us to continue in the continuum. I think what's being called to return to is that spiritual act of showing up for each other for witnessing one another, for sharing our stories with one another and allowing ourselves both to be heard and hear deeply. I think that with what's happening um, systemically in our culture across the planet, there's a lot of that um, dissonance, you know, the earthquakes that kind of shake up our ability to truly hear one another mm. and i would say gather your will force tap in and and listen there's there's so much in here and so much out there and the gift of listening is such a bridge to hearing and supporting one another that would be my you know two cents <laughs> <laughs> the words of wisdom um, so thank you so much. And in the podcast notes, I will, you will have ways to find you and, and links to all of your information so that if you feel called to talk to her, please, by all means, do that. And again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Leslie. I adore you. Thank you for sharing this time with me. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode of Spirituality Out Loud. 
Be sure to rate us, review us, and like us on Facebook, and share us with your friends.